Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create sustainable business and strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Welcome to Cynthia Cherry, who is the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association. We are broadcasting live from Brussels at the annual leadership conference. Thank you, Marie, for being here with us here in Brussels. I'm so excited about the series of keynote speakers that we are able to present and that will give a timeless message around our topic and theme of leadership in turbulent times. And I'm very pleased with our conference chair, Jord Volkers from Deloitte University, the dean of Deloitte University, and his team who helped us along with the ILA staff to present this global conference in Brussels, Belgium in 2017. Our guests are Patrick Sweet and Peter Cunningham. So Patrick is working for the Center for Creative Leadership. He's the co-director of the Alliance for Advancing Leadership in Peace and Security. His role is CCL lead on the Leadership Alliance strategy, implementation, program portfolio design, and faculty delivery in partnership with the Geneva Center for Security and Policy, GCSP. Alliance co-director and GCSP team. Peter is the co-director for GCSP CCL Leadership Alliance, again the Geneva Center for Security Policy. He is the founder and GCSP lead on Leadership Alliance strategy, implementation, program portfolio design, and faculty delivery in partnership with CCL. So um, basically... I'm out full, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So Patrick and Peter are partners, and instead of me trying to read what GCSP does. Why don't you guys tell us what, what, you, what you do? What do all those words mean? Sounds impressive. You can start. Can we start with the, the Geneva Center for Security Policy, GCSP, from now on? And it is a mouthful, I, I know. Um, so I guess a bit of background that's useful is that uh, GCSP was, was set up or founded in, in the mid-90s, and it was Switzerland's contribution to NATO, NATO's Partnership for Peace Program. Okay. Switzerland um, founded a number of institutions uh, looking at issues around peace and security from a research, dialogue, and educational point of view, because that's what they could contribute to NATO. Mm-hmm. 
So it was very innovative in the mid-90s because it brought together diplomats and uh, military, hard and soft security actors in the same room to talk about uh, what were then, even though it sounds not that long ago, sort of state-to-state security issues in okay. other worlds. So I guess as the years have gone by since then and as issues have evolved, as globalization has taken hold, as situations have got more complex around the world uh, and there are many more actors involved in what we would call peace and security issues, it's become a place where people from governments, diplomats, uh, UN agencies, international NGOs, down to local civil society and people doing amazing things in their environment around the world in relation to stability, peace and security issues uh, come together. They come to learn, they come to dialogue. Uh, It's a space uh, uh, where we create an environment where that can happen. Uh, Because it's in Geneva, uh, it's an environment where almost everybody can come and engage and and that is not always the case in other places politically. Not everybody has access to everybody else in Mm -hmm. the world today. Uh, but, But we provide a space where that can happen. Now, the issues in that space are complex, they're deep verticals, for things like migration, nuclear disarmament, uh, climate change, cyber security, all these deep vertical uh, preventing and, uh, uh, violent extremism, for example. They're deep verticals, lots of expertise, uh, and what we found in recent years is there is a, uh, an additional element that we needed to contribute, which is around how do we empower these people with that knowledge to go out and impact their environment? And I guess we use the umbrella term of leadership, which is around how do you affect and influence your environment around you uh, with the knowledge that you have. So we brought in a, a portfolio, a piece of work around developing leadership capability. It's not something that's been focused on traditionally in that space. It's not something that's, that is invested in. It's not even something that's often recognized as something of importance within that expert Culture. Okay. Now that's changing uh, in recent years, but but it's not changing necessarily in in terms of having access to available learning and leadership development tools, products, services, and also the funding because that's the kind of expense of those programs, and and the quality of what's needed there is just as high as in the, in, is in the the business sector. Just as high as in the military. It would be higher well, because the the impact of the issues you're dealing with mm. are truly global. So the complexity of my thinking has to be high. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and my capacity to act has to also be high. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and it has to recognize capacities across different spaces as well as my own. And this is mm-hmm. something that we're particularly interested in. We'll talk a bit more about. But that's how the partnership with CCL was, was formed, which is that if we're going to do this in this environment, where this kind of complexity is, is evident, where the need is so high, uh, where we're going to have to be creative uh, in how we and what we bring to bear. We needed to do that with someone who really understood what there is known today about leading and leadership, and that's where CCL comes in because you know they have 40 years they've been thinking about this, mm-hmm. so they, they bring a lot of expertise to bear. So that partnership has proven so far anyway in, in the last two years to be, be very effective. There's a, there's a great mission alignment between the two organizations. And there is a, a great alignment around the purpose of what we're trying to do. Great, thank you. And Patrick, as the CCL representative, do you want to add anything to what Peter has explained? 
Yeah, I sure do. First of all, it's it's um, humbling to be brought into an organization like GCSP who is struggling and leading others in the, in the space that they do. <laughs> to be recognized as uh, being able to contribute as an asset in that. And, and I can understand why you looked at CCL and we've talked about this and how we ended up there because CCL has been creative, Center for Creative Leadership, <laughs> in advancing our thinking about leading in a lot of different contexts. <laughs> Primarily it's been in the corporate side, but we do a lot of work with government and a lot of work with uh, non-government enterprises. And in the past, uh, 15 years, we've been looking specifically at how to, and this is where our missions really align, how do we make some of this knowledge, this understanding about leading as a set of practices, how do we de-elitize it? How do we make it available to uh, more and more people who can actually use it? Now that actually means that you're redefining leading and leadership in that same moment because you're taking it away from a senior cadre of leaders and you're talking about leading as something that actually um, should be accessible as something to learn at every level of society because we don't just lead at the top. So, so I lead myself, I lead my community organizations, yep, I yep. lead in my family. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I like starting with leading ourselves because we don't necessarily think about that. But mm -hmm. um, particularly at this ILA conference, there's a lot of discussion about leaders. And one thing that happens uh, is that people start thinking about, well, if I learn how to lead, I will be a leader. And we like to see some of that separate. Mm -hmm. And that the role is different than the practice. Some roles are responsible for leading and they may have additional responsibilities and accountabilities with them but you don't have to have and we all know about influence mm -hmm. and we all know about informal leaders you don't have to have these roles in order to actually lead and when we come to these uh, really difficult issues of peace and security it's top-down it's bottom-up and it's from the center out there's leading that happens at every single level and therefore understanding how to lead ought to be and we're working very hard as something learning how to lead is something that everybody should have access to so we talk about uh, what that means but one of the things that we did at CCL was establish a laboratory in Addis Ababa Ethiopia uh, with a specific intention of taking some of the things that we give to corporate 50, corporate 100 mm -hmm. boards and say, what about these essentials can we bring to people who aren't in these boards, who pe people who are working in communities who may or may not even be able to read? which is true. And so Peter and I talk about, you know, some of the ideas about being able to draw and speak about leading with things in the sand, literally. Mm -hmm. Are there some fundamental things that we can learn for everyone that moves leading forward without putting the burden of being a leader, without putting the stigma of leading or following on that? So let's start with that. What are some of the fundamental things that everyone should know about leadership? I'll take a stab at that, Pete, and then you can, you know, you know, keep me honest. Do you invite Pete and Pat? Well, we do that ourselves. Sorry, but <laughs> this might be even more confusing. Yeah, Mr. Cunningham. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, one thing uh, is in actually the way you framed the question. What about leadership? Peter described uh, the environment we work in. We'll have 30 people in a room from literally 30 different cultures. You know, I mean, so uh, we're talking geographic about cultures. geographic, okay. geographic and culture. professional cultures. and professional cultures. Okay. Yeah. So, if you throw out the word leadership in that context, it's already on fire. Mm 
because if you talk to, and these are things that maybe people can recognize, you talk to somebody from France and somebody from the United States and say, what is good leadership? You're going to get a different answer. I just talked to somebody who said there aren't even words. Like Correct. the word in Germany is Führer. Hmm. Uh, that's not slightly charged. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there, there you go. So, so in the way you phrase the question, what are the essentials of, of leadership? And, and if I said that, I still trip. Uh, but we're really talking about centers of leading. And okay. so there are some essentials. One of the essentials we're working on is how do we get people to understand where others are coming from when we start talking about leading. Understand there is no one way. And the flip side to that is it's not all contingent. You know, well, the answer that you, you use a you use a contingent style of leading, you know, whatever whatever is required at the moment. Oh, situational. Situational. Okay. You know, it, that's not a good answer because then you have to be everything for everybody. And then the flip side to that polarity is that, well, there is, you know, an answer to leading. So what we've been working on is finding what are the essentials uh, of leading that apply at individual level, group level organization level and societal level. Is there something that you can pick up through there that I can use to lead myself, I could use to lead my team, I could use to, to actually organize larger collectives? I know CCL does a lot with developmental psychology. Do you pull from those levels? Where do you come up with, a, is it a competency model, a mindset model? I guess yes and yes. Um, in some of the criteria we use to so if you think about it, what we're doing at the moment in the, in the phase we're at is going and looking and understanding what is known about leading and leadership today and what in that is particularly of relevance and interest to our community, to our environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the criteria, I guess, we, we, we use uh, to do that is what resonates when you're in a highly diverse, geographic diverse group mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where people are coming from very different worlds. What um, seems to be uh, useful and, and valuable uh, when you're in an environment where people come from very different professional environments. So uh, a lot of the nature of, of, of the work of people in, in this space, you're working across different sectors. You've got sort of healthcare people working with military, working with politicians, mm -hmm. working with civil society, working with guerrilla groups or trying to, with mediators. With, with, mm -hmm. and, and all of these professional cultures carry very different views as well. So multicultural, uh, multi multi-professional and, and, and complex environment. So the environment they're in or that they're trying to influence is complex. So I guess we use those three things as, as, as base criteria for what has already been developed and, and is out there and is understood that can be fairly easily transferable to um, what is understood and needed in, in, in those spaces. Um, and then bringing it there, finding ways to bring it there, and sometimes adapting it, sometimes adapting the framing of it, because how it's positioned, you know, shareholders and profit and loss, mm -hmm. th th those things maybe need to be reframed, but actually the core issue that you're trying to deal with is the same and similar. So stakeholders, certainly. Stakeholders, beneficiaries, uh, funders. Um, and profit is we don't blow each other up. For example, for example, you know, how do we how do we coexist? Might be a useful. Uh, and peacefully might might even be a nicer. Yeah, if possible, exactly. Yeah. So so it's, so it's 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 often about framing the type of developmental interactions that have been designed often for other sectors, uh, mm -hmm. taking it across. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, I think it's also in the long term attracting, and this is why this ILA opportunity is for us so great, is attracting 
some of the great work that's being done by researchers and scholars on mm -hmm. leading uh, and attracting them to focus their attention to this space because of what you said earlier, which is surely it's more complex and more challenging. So isn't this where we want to be furthering our understanding of what it means? Um, it's your livelihood and mine that I don't get to do my job if I'm... Yeah, and these are, these are the people who are in the room. Um, so one of the elements is the criteria, what, what works with, with this diversity, right? Mm -hmm. And so what resonates, I guess, is the word that Peter uses, which is much, much more accurate. What resonates with everyone? How, and one of the things that, that we have to recognize is that when the people come in the room, they come with lots of elephants, you know. There's trauma. Uh, success looks entirely different in that space. So if we're talking about being a successful leader, that falls kind of flat because they don't all share the same uh, definition of success. It sometimes isn't about them. It's about, it's about peace. So success is actually um, when people are, are, are actually living and working together in a peaceful way. It's not about making it up to the top of an organization. But then again, you have other career um, motivations within people. Some of those are there. Uh, it's just that you need to contextualize everything. I work with uh, cancer researchers, and mm -hmm. one of my favorite clients talks all the time about, it's not about me, it's about curing cancer. Right. It's not me against you, it's us against yeah. this disease mm -hmm. that we want to eradicate. So I assume that for the people in the room who happen to be values-focused, mm. so moving beyond just personal self-interest, that it, it is easier to get people to coalesce around the idea of peace than it is about making some stockholder more money. Mm. So this is an interesting point you made because it's, it, it has to be about both. And this is one of the challenges where you have a really compelling narrative, okay. i.e., um, saving lives or, or peace or that which we can very easily coalesce around because for you to be effective in that space it is also about you and your effectiveness okay so, it's so but this is a common mm -hmm. frame that, that exists in in the environment which is mm -hmm. it's the focus on the mission is so strong that making the space for the organization and production of leading in that work often gets second place in terms of attention and time okay. because those who are investing and funding that kind of work mm -hmm. are funding it to see the results on the ground. They're not funding it to see an organization shape itself to be the best organization it can be to achieve the results on the ground. So there is an inherent challenge in that environment that comes from having, mm -hmm. and it's wonderful to have, have such a strong mission, but there is also a cautionary element to that as well. And that, that would be an absolute parallel to what I'm saying in the cancer work, yeah. that we hire and train the best researchers and physicians and the leadership is an afterthought when something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. let's go on break now, and we will be right back with Patrick and Peter. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? 
Since its inception, Metcap and Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf and Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, so welcome back. We are talking about GCSP and with our guests, Patrick and Peter. So we got a little bit of context in the first segment. Now let's talk about what does this really mean when you show up and what kind of projects are you working on? What's most interesting to you? Hmm. Um, It's all interesting. It's all interesting. Concrete, so I think a useful example that, that, that we could share is, is a piece of what we did that was uh, in support of uh, NATO last year. Um, and it was actually a great example of um, bringing together people who function uh, and operate on the ground in some of the circumstances we've described and some leadership experts, of course. Many of them here are part of the RLA mm-hmm. community, in fact. So. Yes, it's a good example to use, I think, in, 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 in what was done. So, what we set out to do was to see if we could identify what some of the characteristics or elements uh, of leading uh, were that mattered, that made a difference in post-conflict environments. So, environments that are in a, in a post-conflict state, as defined, are, are also those who are most likely to go into conflict. So, there's a lot of sensitivity. There's a lot of Ah, just I'm thinking of, so the war has been won or lost, it's done. So there is currently no, no conflict, conflict, and in that period of time, there is a lot of work being done around um, reconciliation, around okay. institutionalization, building systems and structures that will sustain that. Okay. Um, because but uh, the assumption is stuff has been flattened. Yes. Things that were yes. there before yes. don't exist. Yes. Roads, schools. Mindsets, yeah. okay. Yeah. Divides. Well, maybe there are things there that now that exist that didn't exist before. In fact, mm-hmm. um, in fact, yeah. But it's also the most sensitive to conflict that environment. It may seem obvious, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's we know that to be true. So, leading there is if you think about the UN mission environment, UN peacekeeping missions, mm-hmm. where there is a civilian and military elements. There is a need mm-hmm. to negotiate and engage with the, the politicians and the political level all the way down to community and local on the ground level. Okay. 
Um, so this was to bring people together who engaged either from the international community point of view or from a local perspective on navigating that situation and taking roles of leadership, either informally or formally. And these are pretty traumatized environments when you're talking about local. Often, often yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And uh, to design a, a way to allow them to, through the process, elicit what it is that they do okay. when it works, um, uh -huh. and to expose a, a group of leadership experts and scholars to those discussions, and for them to then, in then in turn, um, play back what they understand about leading and leadership, and what we can learn from the conversation across uh, those two discussion areas. And I want to say how brilliant, rather than us going in, whoever the us is, and saying this is what democracy means, and you have to be democratic, or this is what how we do it, the planting of our culture mm. in an environment that isn't susceptible mm. to whatever, again, our, whoever our is that's mm. trying to help. Which is still very much a challenge in post-conflict environments, because it's unfortunately still uh, intentionally or, or unintentionally still often the case, mm. uh, I'm afraid. And so this, this was a three-day event, and it was um, quite carefully designed to, um, to give uh, as many people in the room to share as much useful information that they had to share. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, worked, it worked great. So these were short five-minute contributions on particular carefully chosen subjects, all related to that common theme. For three um, days? For three days. That's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of conversation. Hmm. Um, well, it was really moving. It was really moving because okay. there were many people had very many things to say. Some were quite surprising and different. And mm -hmm. then there were some themes that came across. So can you share a couple of themes? For a listener, what, what are you hearing? Well, there's a, there's a piece that happens when a peacekeeping force goes in. There's something that happens mm -hmm. when you bring about a stability in the moment mm -hmm. that requires a certain kind of leading. It sometimes requires a certain objective, heavy-handed role. You know what mm -hmm. that's about. Mm -hmm. um, you stop people from killing each other. Yeah. Uh, right. And so that's not a democratic process per se. Mm -hmm. Although um, when you do that, what is left is you've set up a set of expectations, you've supported and not supported different groups mm -hmm. to keep them apart. And so one of the uh, elements we were looking at is what about the way that happens when NATO or any peacekeeping force goes mm -hmm. in? What actually helps or undermines the growth of positive peace afterwards? Mm -hmm. Because just coming in and, and, and killing people is the thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But were there, what some of the key questions were, what about that? And the way we organize that doesn't necessarily lead to a positive, sustained peace. And so one of the things that comes up is that, you know, inside these institutions, you have people who rotate. They have time where they go in for a mission, and there's only so much you can take. And then they have to leave, and others come in. And so there's a, a very human piece, a structural piece, where... Uh, this rotation also leads to a lack of consistent memory about what's happened just prior. Now the people, the, the local people who've experienced don't have that lack of memory. Yeah. They know what's there. Yeah. But when an international force comes in and there's a rotation both within the humanitarian organization, they operate the same way, or the military organizations, 
this, this notion that there's a rotation going on. It's very difficult to keep relationships solid, a fundamental piece of leading. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to keep uh, empathy at the, at the level that you had it at once uh, and to have trust when somebody comes in and, and may not really understand what has happened just before. Now, this is not to criticize these, these efforts that go in. They're very good and people put their lives mm-hmm. on the line. You know, so, so, mm-hmm. But having them in the room say that rather than uh, people on the outside looking in and saying, boy, is this a good thing or is this not a good thing? So one of the things that we really need to figure out how to do is increase our, our, our cultural capital and in, in, in memory through these, through these programs because when we have rotation, uh, it hurts. Another thing is that uh, sometimes the decision criteria to come in is such that the mandate is NATO is not about, uh, allowed to go in unless it's gone kinetic, as they call it. Right? It's gotten physical. Mm. That's part of the mandate. Well, that's late. Hmm. Okay? Uh, it, it actually, but in order to address that, you have to address the mandate of NATO. And so you, people bring these out and say, and this shows up on the other end, because by the time it's gone negative that way, you've got such trauma and such difficulty that you can't build very easily, uh, rebuild empathy between people who are fighting. Well, once you've tried to kill me, I am going to be reasonably reticent yeah. of... That's why some of the reconciliation work is so interesting, that that it's not an eye for an eye. It's the intent Mm -hmm. of true reconciling in a way of recovery. Yeah, yeah. So in in that line, what is it that we do in the front end that gets in the way of the reconciliation, Mm -hmm. even though we're trying to do good things? I mean, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's all right, it's all good. Um, but well, we it's do, all well-intended. That's what I mean. well-intended. Yeah, it's it's, it's all well-intended. There are lots of things that are well-intended that create another, harm. Another example of that that emerged out of that event was the, the release of funds when there is an international response to a crisis and how the, how the imbalance is currently between where those funds go to large international institutions to go in and respond compared to the, the small, uh, smaller local, uh, regional, mm-hmm. on the ground uh, civil society and other actors who are actually often better placed to mm-hmm. respond and then sustain the response needed. So when the funds go to the international community, they do not go to the people on the ground who will be there once the crisis has been declared over. Well, and, and also who challenge. understand the culture. And who understand the environment and the culture. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that disconnect is that sometimes those who are closest to it maybe just don't have the understanding of what it takes to mobilize and lead. In other words, there's a reason that you just don't throw resources and money out to a group mm-hmm. that may or may not be ready to receive them, even though they're the right ones to receive them, which mm-hmm. is sort of where we were getting very strong signals that on the humanitarian side, the NGO side, there are people who who really are good, very well connected, have all of the right things, but then they don't have this basic understanding of leading and mobilizing in ways that large organizations do. Mm-hmm. And it's part of our purpose is to say, you know, well, we can't send that we can't send them to Geneva, we can't send them to to uh, Boston, we can't send them away for a leadership, you know, development program. We need to be able to bring in pieces that work in different cultures that resonate for people at all levels. So does your program say something happens in Puerto Rico as an example? Mm -hmm. And we need to get stuff there because they're Mm -hmm. 
80% of the population has no water. Mm-hmm. I know I'm making this up on the fly. How would you respond to something like that? Or is that, that's not peacekeeping maybe? Our work isn't, isn't, isn't in that response phase. Um, okay. Our work is in my turbulence. <laughs> it, it, it's ongoing. So mm-hmm. um, the challenge with the response phase is there, is there is no time made to stop, reflect and step back from. Ah, okay. uh, and so where thinking about learning and leading uh, really uh, need to happen is, is around, uh, in the space and the time around those issues, when okay. there is time arguably, although that's a challenge in, in itself. But in advance. Uh, when there is, in advance, yeah. exactly, yes. in, in before we get to that situation. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really an ongoing level, and as much as possible, people that work in those environments, either because they live there or because they're sent there, and finding the time to focus on this is, is one of our biggest challenges in helping the funding aspect of all of this uh, recognize you know, when those right times are and being able to then respond. So there's another example that um, takes it out of the, the peace side and mm-hmm. the conflict side, um, where an organization is responsible for humanitarian aid. Okay. Um, one that we work with came to us and said, we have offices um, around the world from mm-hmm. Panama to the Balkans to uh, South America to Africa, and we really need some help in understanding how we can be more effective as, as an organization. And inside of that, we think that we need some leader development inside mm-hmm. of that. And they're responsible for um, uh, housing and assisting millions, literally, uh, of displaced people, refugees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, it's not about post-conflict all the time. That's that, that can be starvation. That can be any number of situations. And this organization is very good at its logistics. So as Peter's saying, we don't come in and tell them how they're going to distribute their things better. They're okay. good at that. Okay. But they are taking the time right now mm-hmm. to step back and say, we think we can do better. And so what would you say to do that? And so we would like to have, as they say, a common language of leading across our organization, across all these cultures. And so one of the things we are challenged with is both greeting a client in an organization like that, understanding their challenge, but then saying, stamping one kind of leading Mm -hmm. across that global organization with those different cultures is probably a mission impossible if you take a standard traditional competency model base. Ah, okay. Right. So if I, you know, if they want to have an assessment of, you know, what is a really good leader across our organization and what are those competencies, they will see that the the variation from mm. uh, Panama to Rwanda is pretty pretty big. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. So you so so we have to look at it differently. And so what are some of the essentials there? And so it changes our definition of what leading is. But we have to meet where they are. Because just because we're thinking about leading and they're thinking about leaders and competencies, we have to take time to both educate ourselves. What is it that we can do? So we are working on a global assessment of leading at the team level. Okay. Where the collectives are the target, not to the individuals. What do effective teams do? Well, some cultures are collective-focused, hmm. right, I'm yes. assuming. Yeah. More, more so than others, more so than others. We, we define collective as shared work. So it's not collective. Uh-huh. So, so, okay. so what, is, what does leading look like when it happens really well among uh, people who have shared work? Right, so Peter and I have shared work. We've got things mm-hmm. that we, we have to t- deliver together. I can't deliver them with, without mm-hmm. him and vice versa, or at least our organization is that way. Mm-hmm. 
And so there are teams around the world, but the way they do it uh, in one part of the world might be different than others. So we're looking at things called direction alignment and commitment. These are not individual characteristics. These are characteristics of the teams. These are characteristics mm -hmm. of the collectives. Mm -hmm. And so how does DAC direction alignment get actually uh, produced here and versus there. So we can then go back and say, well, across the board, you uh, can find advantage in developing these team processes rather than going in and saying, you need a leader who knows how and has competencies to do A, B, and C because these things are produced between people as opposed to by a person telling others to do it. Back to Peter's point, we're working with them at a moment while they're taking time to step back and do this assessment. We're not intervening when they're actually building, let's say, a, a village uh, mm -hmm. for, for a particular, in Puerto Rico, for example. Mm -hmm. um, After. Afterwards, you know. I mean, they're going to go in and they're going to do that, mm -hmm. and they do that very well uh, for displaced people. But getting leadership training in the middle of that is probably not No, it's helpful. probably not. Mm -hmm. But they can reflect afterwards and say, what about this went well? And they do. And what about this can we do better? And they do. And what about that can we share across the organization? And so we're helping them frame that. But one of our challenges is this, these are activities that are not well understood. So we're learning ourselves. So let's come back on that note, because I'd love to hear more about what you're learning. What I'm taking away is that the two of you are co-creating, pulling from the best literature and research and everything else, mm -hmm. a series of practices, processes, mm -hmm. thought frameworks that will resonate in organizations that didn't necessarily exist because the world's different than it was. Mm -hmm. And what used to be a best practice may not apply in this context mm -hmm. for a global humanitarian or post-conflict environment, and certainly different in Ethiopia than Detroit. Mm -hmm. So with that, we will go on break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, so we wrapped up the last segment with your constituents learning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so let's talk about that momentarily, and then let's talk about what you're learning. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like even if you don't have time to teach leadership in advance of an intervention, especially because they're already quite experienced Mm -hmm. at this, Mm -hmm. you can still do kind of an after-action review Mm -hmm. and start the learning process with the reflection process. Mm -hmm. Is that accurately stated? Yeah, and, and so that's that's sort of the, the learning on the constituent side. What I was alluding to was that because the nature of the way these things are transpiring, not only in our space, but even in corporate spaces, it's, it's very turbulent. There are things that we are learning that we have to, in our adaptation of what other people do, we recognize that there are things that we are beginning to understand that we can work to advance, which was part of our mission to advance understanding of, of leading in this in this kind of activity. And so there's a couple key areas of, of learning that we are really working on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what are those, the, the obvious? Yeah. <laughs> Two that come to mind uh, and have come up in this conference in the last day or two uh, repeatedly is, uh, well, the first one is, is around an ability to create spaces, environment where the right kind of dialogue can happen at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much about leading which is about speaking to. Um, versus that versus I speaking listen. amongst and not speaking. When you say dialogue, I think of the, the David Bohm work and mm. that I listen to each person and I speak mm. into the circle also. Mm. But in that process, I am willing to be changed by the dialogue. There is the dialogue itself. Okay. And, and then there is creating a space where dialogue like that and others mm-hmm. can happen. What that looks like, obviously, is, is somewhat situational, but... but it's, it's a phenomenon that comes up time and time again, and it's to a greater or lesser extent recognized as a leadership capability. But what we do see is when, uh, it, is, when it happens, it has an impact. Mm-hmm. It has an impact in, in, in a lot of the spaces we're working in. So this ability to, to recognize what kind of space is needed, um, to create the space, and then to shape the dialogue in that space to whatever the situation demands mm-hmm. is, is a set of leadership capabilities that either an individual or a collective can you know, bring to bear. But that is a key area of focus for us to be able to bring to the table and, and, and put into our portfolio. The second one... You touched on something about, you said both, lead, both individual and collective. Mm-hmm. Even if an individual, even if a leader is capable of doing that, mm-hmm. some places the collective doesn't pick it up. So I just wanted to lift that mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. it, it really is a collective characteristic. You know, having a good dialogue really depends on two people, right? Even, mm-hmm. if, even if I'm really open to, to listening to you, but you feel a distance or for some reason there's a barrier that is structural in some way. Mm-hmm. 
cultural. Cultural, exactly. Uh, so there is a collective characteristic there. So one of the other things we're learning about is we really need to understand these collective uh, elements that they go mm. beyond the individual. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. And so those and those pop up because when you work with different cultures, the collectives look different because the norms are different. So, mm-hmm. But I cut you off, Peter. Mm. No, I, I absolutely agree. And the second one, just as another example, but again, because it's come up uh, so many times in, in, in the last few days at the, at the, at the RA conference here, is uh, or our paradoxes or polarities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we've uh, been spending quite a lot of time with Barry Johnson, who, who's done a huge amount of work on leveraging polarities. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you apply yourself to polarities? What does it even mean to recognize what a polarity is and the fact that there are two opposing truths and that maybe it isn't we need to do one or the other, but actually we need to be able to hold both. Uh, and what does that look like? And how do you do that? And, and I think at a, in, when it comes to turbulence in particular, mm-hmm. the, the phenomenon of polarities or even multilarities, I, I, I guess, if you want to go there, and being able to, to leverage those and recognize that there is value in continuity, there is value in change, for example, and there is challenge in both as well. Uh, and the fact that you can actually achieve leverage on both sides. It isn't just an either or. It isn't just we need to stay the same or we need to change. We need to leverage the best of both of those. And that is a higher order leading uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, we, lo- we learned a bit about vertical development here on, on the conference as well. And to be able to even to, to go there requires um, mm-hmm. those involved to, to, to have achieved a certain level of development around their own thinking. Um, so that's for listeners who don't know what polarities are and mm. vertical development. I know for people who have listened to all hundreds of interviews, they've heard this. <laughs> but but um, let's start with polarities, just mm. a quick definition, and then vertical development, quick definition. Or I'll, I'll take polarities, you say? Yeah. yeah. I'll take the example I used before, which is continu- continuity and change. In so many organizations, um, there is a talk of change. We mm-hmm. are here today mm-hmm. and we need to change. We need to change to survive or mm-hmm. to profit or to increase the scale of our work or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. It's a from two conversation. Um, a from two conversation suggests that where we are today isn't good enough mm-hmm. and where we need to go tomorrow is better. As we know, in a complex system, that's not the whole truth. We understand that there are things about where we are today that are actually things to be proud of, mm-hmm. and things to hold on to, and things to not let go of. And in our, in, in our well-intentioned direction to go from one place to another, to, to be where we want to be for the future, we can easily let go of those, or we can let go of the people that are holding on to those, mm-hmm. um, because they're not going to jump on the bandwagon because they're not recognizing the value of where we're going. So it's an ability to engage a collective uh, mm-hmm. around the recognizing what is the value in, in, in continuity, where we are mm-hmm. today, what are the good things about that, what are the downsides to that, mm-hmm. and then to the, also look at what are the good things about where we're going mm-hmm. uh, and where we'd like to get to but also acknowledging that there are potential downsides to that if we over-focus on the change to mm-hmm. the neglect of, I hope I'm doing very justice here, to the neglect of yeah, um, what we're yeah, proud of today. It's a beautiful so, so, so it's, and, and you can apply this to so many, you can apply this at an individual level. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be an authentic leader and I want to be a, an adaptable leader. Can I do both? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. I need to be purposeful about that. Um, when you can take that to an organizational level 
and you can take that to a societal level. And if you listen to Petraeus's, General Petraeus's interview this morning, you'll recognize a, a number of polarities that, that he was navigating, uh, and, and many people in, in those times of environments will recognize their own, I think. So then let's add in the vertical development discussion, because I think where you were going is mm. most people are not aware of polarities, not taught about polarities, mm. but that at a certain level of developmental maturity, we see an either or, we don't see both ends of the pole and the nuance of how to balance and manage those tensions. Mm. You're either changing or you're staying the same. Mm. You're either right or wrong, whatever polarity you want to use. So without going into the long lecture of vertical development, mm. What do you want to say about how vertical development ties to polarities to make your point? So vertical development is a developmental model. It, mm-hmm. means, it means that in leading you can, you can develop yourself horizontally and learn many different things to do, but uh, you also need to develop your cognitive capacity to do more complex things. And one of the most complex things to do for humans is to hold two opposing truths in our heads because we're wired for fight flight. We're wired for for making quick uh, assessments of good, bad, either or things. But when you're um, working in in a social environment, there are many things that just don't boil down to there. So uh, getting a collective or getting an individual to learn to embrace and see that there are uh, some things like breathing, there are some things that actually work as an energy system. Change and continuity work in energy. Getting people to understand not only the concept, but then to be able to work with it in a way that's constructive. We see people who can work with it very well destructively. I won't use any particular leaders that come to mind at the moment, but if you want to understand the power of polarity, just look at when things go bad, when people decide deliberately to leverage polarities in a negative way. That same energy, that same power, can be used to leverage polarities in a positive way. And that's a very uh, advanced skill. We probably don't like calling that an advanced skill when we look at it being used in a negative way. Mm -hmm. But if it's being done consciously, which I believe it is Mm -hmm. in this circumstance, it's a high skill. So there's an element of vertical development that says at some point we need to, we gain capability to think and do things in a more complex way without the long definition of what vertical is. And polarity thinking really is a little bit more complex. I have to actually be able to hold two things or more in my head at the same time and begin to say that they both exist and they do create tension. So when we look at the vertical framework, Mm -hmm. depending on whose data you use, it's about 10% of the population who Mm -hmm. can innately do this well. I would say uh, with polarities, one of the things that attracts us to it is that there's far more who can do polarities. It's not that far away. Almost everyone has experienced. I'll give you an example. Uh, The first example is, as a parent, do I love my child unconditionally or do I hold them accountable? for their behaviors. And hopefully you do both. Correct. Everybody gets that flat out. Without mm-hmm. without question, people I want get to be loved that. and not accountable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so, so even though we talk about vertical development, put it in there, I don't want to put polarity so high up on that, okay. on that thing that we say that's only 10% of the population. I think right. everybody, everybody has this understanding of tensions and knows that they, they can work with it. Taking it from your 
parent-child relationships mm-hmm. into a functional change continuity mm-hmm. relationship. Into a more complex it, system is, is, is a different, is a different mm-hmm. conversation. But it's yeah, it's yeah. well within the grasp of far more than 10%. So as we're wrapping up, we were talking about what you're learning. What do you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? I would say that one of the things that excites us most about being in the ILA and being able to contribute to the to the conferencing is is that those who who lead, influence, engage in, in in the kind of scenarios, environments we've talked about, I really do think this is where we can further the, our understanding of what leading and leadership means. Mm-hmm. And, but to do that, we need to research those phenomena in this space. Uh, and so, this is a call to to the ILA community to to say, come and further the work of these leaders through your work by researching uh, what it even means to do uh, and to practice in in these kind of environments because I think that's where we can do some great work. And I would say beyond the ILA community to our listener community who may also Mm. be doing research but didn't get to come to the conference or Mm. don't belong to ILA specifically, including some of the business community. Yeah, um, one is that leading that we see. Leading is is both an individual and a collective enterprise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, We over-focus on the individual side of it. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that I would hope people would take away is to understand how much of leading is a collective enterprise and where we really need to make our progress right now. And we see organizations that do that in innovation mm-hmm. and other areas mm-hmm. where we can make the most progress, particularly in our space, is understanding the shared aspect of leading and not emphasize the leader aspect, but emphasize the practices, the collective practices, mm-hmm. not just individual practices. But what about leading is shared in a team? And how do you bring those forward? And what can you do to make those practices work better? Thank you. And in closing, if someone wants to connect with this work, mm-hmm. learn more, contribute in some way, what is the contact information, the website, the other collateral material? How would they learn more? I think, yeah, website. reach out to the GCSP website, Geneva Center for Security Policy. You, you'll find us on there, and please do. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you very both much. for your time. Enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us live in Brussels at the International Leadership Association Conference. In these turbulent times, investing time and energy to refresh and evolve your leadership skills becomes a critical success driver. I challenge each of us to consider the impact effective leadership makes on our lives and on the lives of the organizations we lead and the people that those organizations impact. Imagine what each of us can do as we work together to solve these big problems that impact us, together we can create a world that is more peaceful, more just, and creates more opportunities for everyone to thrive. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.